Everybody, welcome to This Week in Mormons, the premier Latter-day Saint-focused podcast on news and news. Primarily just this week, because we don't have any guests on. Glad you're here, though. Please review this in iTunes. Most stilted delivery ever. I'm Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Kurt Frankham. I thought that was a beautiful opening, Jeff. Yeah, it was, sure. Yes, it is. See, the thing with podcasts is that most people listen to them sped up, and everything sounds better sped up. So regardless of how you felt it went... I think most people didn't even notice if it was mediocre. I would like to survey Twim's listeners about whether they li- listen to this sped up or not. I imagine my analytics might show something to that. I-, I speed mine up too. But I'm a bit of a fast talker. I try to rein it in. But when I get going, I'm kind of a fast talker to begin with. So if you start putting that at 1.5 speed, I don't know if you can follow. Should we see how fast we can talk to this one, Jeff? And just let's, so see let's, let's see if we can do that as possibly fast as possibly can. Yes. Let us do everything as quickly as possible. <laughs> I, I listen to mine at two, two uh, double speed, you know. So. Wow. Well, I kudos to my intellect. I'm sorry. I just, just how and you just works. <laughs> and you just listen to yourself. That's right. Apparently, which I don't really care to do very much. I, 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 uh, when I'm on Twim, I do not listen to the, the, the post. I always download it because I want to give you that, you know, that download. Yeah. Yeah. Marker. yeah. But, uh, and yeah. because when you download it, the internet feels that you've done it. So others, more people wind up. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's this weird karma that's in the, in the, the universe of the internet. Yeah. Sure. Something yeah. Like that. Great. Happy Happy Independence Day, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, that's why we are a little bit later this week. Is that we were going to record on the Fourth of I July? No way. I had fireworks to go to. Wasn't going to happen. You had to set up your blanket in the in the at the mall in D.C. We did not go to the mall. <laughs> it's fun to do, but you've got to you've got to commit and spend like a couple day. hours early. Oh, sometimes at least. I mean, it's not just the fireworks. There's usually, there's festivals. There's all kinds oh, okay. of things going on all day. So it's a full day. It's a lot of fun, but you're out there. You're pretty exposed. There's trees on the mall, but unless you're camped out underneath one, you're in the sun all day on a big, giant pedestrian esplanade of grass. But it is a fun thing everyone should do at least once. If you come to DC, if you live in the DC area and the fireworks are great. I mean, it's a lot of fun. One year, I got to go to the balcony on the Daughters of the American Revolution building and watch them from there, which was a really cool point of view. That was a fun memory. Wow. Yeah. So what did you end up doing for the fourth? Well, um, so we had a, a pancake breakfast per tradition in our oh, ward. I love as that. We, you know, Your ward? Should... Like, is it the young men, the, the young women? or? Well, it's, uh, it's still basically the elders quorum. We resurrected our activities committee a few months ago. We actually have one again in a chair. but So we deferred to them, but said this one's kind of always been like an elders quorum gig. But they worked with them and got it all done. And uh, it was what it usually is. The one main thing that differentiates it from a lot of pancake breakfasts I hear about is we always do a quote unquote parade where all the kids are encouraged to show up and decorate, whether it's scooters or bikes or trikes or whatever it might be to to decorate those things in patriotic regalia and then they have a quote-unquote parade which is just going in kind of an oval for a while in the back parking lot (laughs) but the kids have fun with it it's just like the thing you do for the first half hour and kind of have a laugh and uh that's the thing and then we just eat we always do that we never do uh like a flag ceremony and no one's ever done patriotic remarks i've seen that i've had that in other wards uh but that's not a thing we've done in ours what about nice. you? Uh, well, we I got done with a family reunion this past uh, this past weekend, and so that I'm was sorry. Sort of, yeah, it, it was an in law uh, family reunion as well. So you know, you get to stand there, and you really don't know anybody. And should I invest in in learning more about these people? I don't know. You I got a network, man. You got a network. Right. That's what it's all about. <laughs> That's right. Ask for donations for my nonprofit, things like that. No, but it was actually at the Heber uh, camp that the church owns. Uh, where they do girls camp things there and uh sure, sure. yeah like i know come on uh you you if you've been there you know i and don't live this, in the Mountain west kurt i it's went this to BYU. huge camp that, that was the it. church has invested millions of dollars into and the, all these missionaries are there with their rvs and satellite dishes on top missionaries of have rvs yes these are senior missionaries oh you've got to put that identifier up well. front okay i mean <laughs> Senior missionaries go to the movies. They do whatever they want. That's true. It's, right. it's totally different. Yeah, it's kind of a sweet gig, though. I think they go there for the summer and set up camp and okay. you know, facilitate the girls' camps that come through and then these random family reunions. And so I was there, and by the time we got back, you know, by the time the fourth ra- rolled around, we thought, you know, we're going to stay home, drive out to Grantsville, which is about a 10-minute drive from where I'm at. And, oh, yeah. And small town, 
watch the fireworks. It was awesome. My car was like a hundred feet from where we laid our blanket down. We watched them a little bit of traffic. We had nothing crazy and we drove home and boom, put the kids to bed. Done. That sounds wonderful. I did not see a large fireworks show. We, after, after the pancake stuff, we, uh, we went up to Mount Vernon, George Washington's estate. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't you know. know. I don't know. I'm, I live in the Intermountain West. I don't no, know. I live in DC what? and you know, and like, this is things we have here. No big deal. So we went to Mount Vernon, which is, which I've been to on the fourth before. It's, it's arguably one of the busiest days of the year there. It's the only other busy day is like president's day and Washington's birthday. Cause admission is free on those days, but, uh, they do, they do a lot of stuff. You know, they've got people dressed up like red coats and, and colonial militias and this and that and playing patriotic songs and all this kind of stuff. The, uh, actor who cosplays as George Washington for a living is usually lurking about the <laughs> grounds. Is- he's very good. So is uh, he like an employee of yes. the, the place? Okay. Yeah, he's not just like a guy who shows up because okay. he thinks it's fun. And there's also a Martha <laughs> Washington. But one thing that's interesting is they do daytime fireworks, which were isn't just for the novelty. This was a thing back in the 18th century. And oh, so nice. from like the- Like high up in the sky fireworks. Yeah, like a mix okay. of, stu- of uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, like pretty typical fireworks. And uh, so they usually shoot them from a barge just off the shore in the Potomac River, just on the east lawn of the, the estate of the home. And so you get to see all that and it's kind of fun. And we had a fun little day. My cousins met us there and- uh, Your toured kids the loved ha- it? They had fun. We toured the house, saw some bands. My kids en- enlisted in the militia to fight off the British. I kept trying to get, I asked my oldest repeatedly because there were a bunch of redcoats and I was like, run up to them and say, and yell down with the tyranny of King George. And I told him I would buy him any Lego set he wanted. I was like, I'm telling you, I'm like, there is no cost limit. Any Lego set you want, I will buy it. If you run up there and yell at them. And he didn't take it, huh? He wouldn't wouldn't do it. You got to teach him a Hamilton song. I know, right? And then, you know, just that. Which I thought about quoting when I myself got to talk to the uh, George Washington actor as he was about. We took a picture with him and then I was wearing my Angels baseball cap. And so he looked at it and he's always in character. Guy never breaks. Ever. And he says, uh, he's like, that's an interesting insignia on your on your hat. Like, what, from which army is that? Which unit are you with? And I'm quickly scrambling, thinking in my head. I'm like, all right, Angels. And I was like, uh, Alta California? Um, Spain. I am from Spain, and and he's like, oh, where in Spain? And I was like, Mission San Juan Capistrano. Does that ring any bells? And the guy's just like rolls with it. I should have like done something. I should have just walked up to him and been like, you were great in Hamilton. You were just terrific. Uh, anyways, it's just fun. Big big silly stuff. So good for nice. We can do fire. I don't know why fireworks are legal in Utah. You guys burn the state down every year, but yeah. uh. Hey. You know, we it's part of it's part of our uh, you know just our our DNA, Jeff. A human being has to blow something up to celebrate. I remember that bad wildfire, which I think started from the fourth. I think you know the uh, the mountain opposite Utah Lake, over by Saratoga Springs side. That's very brushy. Okay, the whole thing went ablaze in like two thousand seven. Well, you know, it needs a redo, anyways, right? And John Huntsman was governor, and he was like, "Hey." How about stop lighting things on fire, please? I always, I always appreciate the passive aggressive guilt trips we get from our governor every year. I'm like, okay, please, no, serious guys, could we just do this? Like, whatever. <laughs> I think they're trying to toe that line, especially since not all of them. I mean, Huntsman was raised LDS, but he's not practicing. Right. But you know, sometimes I think they try to lean on the whole teach you correct principles and let you govern yourselves, right. and then they're trying not to deviate from that. But in their minds, they're just like. <laughs> don't like want to regulate these people right but um i mean think that's about why all the- i always go to these fireworks shows that are approved and have firefighters on staff which so. is and that's yeah. smart right yeah. that's smart i mean lighting stuff up in your neighborhood that could be risky there's definitely you know in, in the dry west they they banned fireworks uh back home in california when i was a kid which was yeah. about when i have memories as a child of actually going into the stands and buying them and then they all went away and I don't get it. I mean, in the hills, sure, but like I just grew up in the concrete jungle. I don't see what I would have set on fire, but fine. Right. Whatever. Whatever. Um, one thing, Kurt, I would love to ask about this sort of popped up and it really seemed to have struck a chord with a lot of folks following us on social media. To say general. the least, Jeff, you got um, 500 plus comments on this post. And by the way, struck a chord was not a d- deliberate pun, but I'm happy to be hey, here. So, nailed it. Uh, in my ward, we did not do any patriotic type music at all. And that just did not happen this Sunday. 
Um, when I saw we definitely the, did just for reference. And when I saw the chosen hymns, as I am in the bishopric, I just chose to say, "Okay, music director's doing doing what the music director does." I'm not going to like make an issue out of anything because I don't care. And so we didn't do it. And so I thought about this and I've realized I've seen a slight growing trend in recent years of folks who don't think we should sing patriotic songs in sacrament meeting anymore. Those who like adamantly think we do and those who just kind of say, well, yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's in the hymn book. If you do it, whatever. If we don't, whatever. Um, so we just put that on our Facebook page, basically saying like, should we have these in sacrament meeting? I'm like shocked by the response though. We've had a lot of yeah. controversial stuff in 13 years of doing this and <laughs> And like, this is the thing, people, that gets a lot of your comments, I guess. So, go so what figure. was the general consensus you picked up from I, reading through I, some of these? I don't know that there that there absolutely was a full consensus. Uh, you saw most of them. So different mixes. There's people who say, well, they're in the hymn book. So sure. And I say, currently, that is fair because they are in the hymn book. In the English hymn book, the national anthem of the United States is in that hymn book. If you live in other Anglophone countries, you get an insert in the back page of your national anthem, but you still get to have America's national anthem in yours because it makes you're not going to print one different version with different national anthems for New Zealand and Australia and Canada, and I get it, all that stuff. Um, but by the same token, the church has publicly disclosed like four years ago that national anthems will not be in the upcoming new hymn book. They have said that publicly. No national anthems. They did not say whether there won't be patriotic songs like America the Beautiful or others like that, but at least national anthems won't be a part of it. I think that move makes sense just because, you know, we're we're an international church. Why are we singing the national song of different countries we're in? You can totally get that argument. And then some people really leaned on that saying we are an international church. We don't need to worry about this. Some people said uh, along the lines of just that, like, worshiping. I go to church to worship Christ. That is why I'm there for that. to, be, And that's that's the focus. I could spend all my time outside of church worshiping a country. That's fine. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a mix, a healthy mix. I don't believe there's a single consensus. I don't know if anyone's right or wrong, but um, I do think it's interesting uh, that people really do feel passionately about this subject. Yeah. And I think it's just, I, I get it. I think it's easy context, you know, on the Independence Day to talk about, you know, what the content is the focus of our meetings are, but, um, I mean, we're not outside of independence day here in the U S I don't think we're just in my experience, uh, generally speaking, I don't think we're hitting, uh, the, the focus on Christ much at all. I mean, we, there's this feeling, especially during mother's day, father's day to me, it's like, get rid of all of them. Like, let's just be at church on you know, when we're at church and if it's mother's day, great, you know, cook your mother dinner that night and do it. Yeah. But to have this sort of overt, uh, recognition and the treat. And I mean, these traditions just like get rid of them, you know? But, uh, so to me, the discussion needs to begin just with what are we doing in general with our sacrament meetings, let alone on independence day. So I, I don't think we're doing well the rest of the year either. Oh, so you're against this, Kurt, you, I don't know. you, a, a flag, a flag carrying, no, no, no. Mike I Lee think, loving Republican. I think these these hymns. I, I hope they continue, and I don't see a, yeah. a place for it. But it's the, uh, you know, because to me it's a form of it's a form of worship, and and obviously there's text in it that's very, uh, you know, focused on God and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we if we go through, if we're just having a, you know, a few talks about the founding fathers and whatnot, like yeah, we're missing the mark, right? That it's the redemptive power of Christ that uh, that that we should focus on rather than the redemptive power that influenced men that then influenced a, you know, a process of independence and constitution and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had Liz on last week and we kind of mentioned this. I didn't get many responses from people, but so I don't have to hit on it, but I did think it was, it makes me think those discussions about how, if there are any individuals who have sort of stepped away from church because they have, I don't know if a faith crisis, but struggle with their testimony because they come to believe that America is not like this foreordained like land that it's like the mm-hmm. con- like parts of the constitution are not inspired. I could see people believing that in good faith, like loving our country, but saying like, dude, like the constitution as written back then is wrong. So how can mm-hmm. we say that all of this was inspired? How can that be a doctrine of the church? Ergo, how can I believe in this thing? And now my faith is shaken. I've never right. met anyone who's who's gone through that, but I see it as a little different from having 
being rocked by any other number of random bits of, of doctrine and culture that seep yeah. through and you take issue with. But uh, yeah, I, I would guess there's probably a few that maybe that's been the core issue, but it's, you know, one of many that they throw on top of other struggles that they, as they, they strive to find their place there. Um, but to me, it goes back to just the framing. And I see this in, in other contexts where people, it's not necessarily the truths or what they believe or what they think the church believes, but just how they framed it all together. It just has a, Uh, it's maybe too rigid and at some point Mm. that will break. And then what do you have left? Right. And so that's why if we can keep coming back to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, like that will never break. And there's, and if we, we show up to church and leave feeling like I feel I better understand the, the personal redemption I've received from the savior, then I'm going to show up next week because that is refueling. That's re-energizing rather than, okay, we discussed a bunch of things that, yeah, some are true. Some maybe I don't agree with and uh, maybe I'll come next week. Well, and you raise an interesting point too, because it's like, it's not to say it's inherently bad, even if you had talks or lessons on, on, you know, the divine nature of the founding of the United States, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to. Okay. But like you said, if I came to church and I hadn't been for a while and that's what it was about, I would have been like, dude, I could have gone to like a rotary club meeting for this kind of stuff. Why am I? Yeah. Is is that going to boost my my faith in the Savior and in the atonement? And it's not to knock it, but I just don't know if it would. Like you said, it's uh, and, it, and with Independence Day, I think it's even a more perfect storm because you know it's July Fourth, which is typically going to be around the first Sunday, which is that fast and testimony meeting, right? So it's open mic, and you're going to get people who are seeing an opportunity of oh, I'm going to go you know talk about my patriotism, whatnot. Which okay, if that's where you feel a connection to God. It, you know, maybe there's a way to do that. But uh, again, you know, hopefully there's a overt message of Jesus Christ and his redemptive power. One would hope. We didn't really get much of that, but we also gave away a ton of the meeting for um, some people to recap uh, camp that had ha- youth camp that had happened the week before. <laughs> they actually combined it with genders, which was yep. a pretty big deal. That's what the kids wanted to do. So another great example of the, with the best intentions here, we are thinking, well, we're talking about a church experience and maybe there was testimony built here. Like, again, we're not talking about the camp. We're talking about Jesus Christ and how he changes us individually. Now, if that happened in the context of a camp, great, you know, share that. But and I think they're largely, there, there largely was, but things can veer into, you know, travel monies. Let me ask you one other question then as far as testimonies go. Kurt, you've oh. been in a leadership position many times. I'm oh, curious yeah. about your, your Have I mentioned that, here. Jeff? I've been a bishop. I a don't few know times. That, but, oh, I know. Uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> I just got really excited when they put me in the bishopric because finally, and like all the time I've known you, we are finally the same rank. Right. Reset, yeah. right? This is, right. This is the important thing. <laughs> uh, actually, that's not true because you are also an ordained bishop and I am not. I'm merely a high priest. Very sad. Someday, Jeff. So uh, how do you feel about if someone's moving out of the ward who's been prominent, perhaps if they've been in a, they're, they're not moving, they're not like currently in a leadership position, like in a bishopric and they are, and this is like their last Sunday, they're released and they're moving in the, and, and this and that. But what if they have been in the past, they're notable members of the ward, they're going to be moving. And so the, the, the leadership says like, we should have them, the husband and wife bear their testimonies on fast Sunday. Hmm. And on paper, I don't necessarily think that's bad at all. But the only reason I ask you about it is, what if you do it for this people, but you're not like doing that for any other ward members who you know are leaving, if like another family left the week before? We had this very thing this last Sunday. I love the people who are leaving dearly. They were invited to bear their testimonies, and that could have been as the spirit dictates. That's fine. But like the week prior another was another family's last Sunday, and we had didn't ask any of them to bear their testimonies or to take mm-hmm. time or do anything like that. What what do you do you think you should do the the I I, I was thinking about you during this because you and I talked about how when I was called to the bishopric, um, I didn't even like, I wasn't like called to the stand afterwards or anything like that. Uh, yeah. And you kind of, you remember, and you, I thought it was, oh, this is fine. But you kind of said to me privately, you're like, well, good. Like you're not, you're like not right. more special than other people. They right. don't do this for like the primary <laughs> second counselor. Right. Uh, which I, which I can agree with. So like, do you think we should do that? If oh man, are I have so many unpopular opinions in this realm. One being that I don't, I do not think anybody younger than 14 maybe should be given the opportunity to share a testimony in a fast testimony, but we can discuss that at a later point. But yeah, to me, this is a, an example of, and I, I guess I've never experienced this in a ward, but to me, it sounds like a, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened where we just get away. And I think it goes back to just how we understand testimony meeting and how we frame a testimony and what is a testimony. We often at least when I think of a testimony, I think of the many stories of individuals standing and testifying of truth or a 
doctrinal yeah. fact, right? That Christ lives, that Joseph Smith was a prophet and whatnot. And I get that tradition, but I think we would be better better off if we reframed what we're trying to do, where we're creating a space where individuals can come and not necessarily share their testimony, but share how Jesus Christ has changed them personally. Like is the articulate the change that you've experienced, right? And if we stay in that realm, we are going to have more uplifting, edifying testimonies that actually impact somebody when they hear it, right? Like we had a great testimony this past Sunday where an individual got up and talked about how she was recently uh, diagnosed as bipolar. And it was just this heart wrenching, like as she's grappling with her faith and everything, and everybody's leaning in and she's talking about this journey she's on that is changing her, right? And so, yeah, I would say, you know, I probably wouldn't do the farewell testimony during testimony meeting. I think if we create this space and respect the boundaries of that space, uh, but it's hard because sometimes it's like, well, what if nobody gets up or what if that time's used as a travel money instead? It's like, well, that's why you have to cl- set clear boundaries and expectations. Um, the leaders do right as they start that meeting off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what if the content's okay though? It's just like, I'm thinking about just the notion of do you, do you single people out just because they are leaving? Yeah. To me, I guess if there's any uh, hint of like, if someone stood up and be like, well, this is our last Sunday. We're here to say goodbye. Like, wait a minute, time out. Testimonies are, testimony means not a, a platform to people say goodbye. So if you want them to speak or something like ask them to speak in sacrament or whatnot. But anyways, I mean, not that I would be completely offended or whatever, but no, it's, again, it's just these little steps, these little nuances that over time take us away from the true purpose of these meetings. Yeah. And it was good in general, but for me, between that and then some of the camp stuff, we wound up with very little time for regular members of the ward to get up and mm-hmm. just bear their test. And we even asked youth if they would come talk about like their camp experience and this and that, mm-hmm. um, which none even did. So we're, so yeah. I don't know. So now that I set up there, like I'm thinking about like, how, I'm thinking more about how sacrament meeting going. It's mm-hmm. I'm in a position to move that more to, yeah. than I was before. Like this is on my mind a lot. Like what yeah. can we do to have really worthwhile and impactful sacrament meetings? And, and, and I'm sure you've been there as a bishop. You see that, uh, Sometimes you might have a talk that you think is useful for the ward and you get a bunch of blowback from people because of X, Y, Z and, you know, hurt egos, all kinds of stuff. And uh, Yeah. And this is something I've been discussing a lot in our uh, newsletter, just this concept of like the experience of church and, you know, is, is the two hours of church working? And I know that's come across quite like, what do you mean it's working? Of course it's working, but no, really. No, like, I think that's a fair thing to bring up. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I wanted to, yeah. And, and what, what, I feel like a lot of leaders have much more autonomy to influence and even everyday going members who don't have maybe official title of influence or whatnot, but there is more that we could do to really step back and say, why do we do it that way? And is there a better way? And, uh, I think there's a lot we could do, um, to, to improve our, everybody's experience on Sunday and make it something of where they leave feeling like I cannot wait to come back next time where now I know it can be such a tradition and something you just do. And we shouldn't just do traditions because we have traditions. That's right. A tradition for tradition's sake is not justification, folks. Amen. Mix, mix it up. Mix, mix it, it up. up. I mean, you got to see even even the guidelines. You you were writing something about this. Even the guidelines for sacrament meeting, you can get a little hung up in semantics. It says the word may include the following in the handbook, not should. There's nothing that says you have to structure sacrament meaning exactly the way you do. There's certain elements you want to get in place. But man, you could start off with a special musical number that's just going as people walk in. You could do all kinds of stuff. You, I mean, I suppose, yeah. as we saw during the pandemic, many of us shifted to having the sacrament itself at the end of the meeting because there would be a broadcast and then they just cut that off at the end so they could do the sacrament yeah. when it was done. And we did that for like a year. In right. our, you can mix things up yeah, all you can want. Can you imagine walking into a sacrament meeting and suddenly, you know, the bishop member starts it off and says, well, we're now going to do the talks. We're going to turn the time over to brother so-and-so. He's going to give us a talk. We're going to do the business at the end of the meeting. Yeah, try it out. And you could def- you could definitely. I mean, I think obviously the talks is supposed to be more the the spiritual zenith of the meeting, and you want to kind of go out on that note as opposed you, to you having think, everyone, right? Yeah, but hey, right. see what happens. You know, I, I was in a ward once when I was in a singles ward where they did announcements. Uh, business was still early, but announcements were at the very end, even after the prayer, because the bishop was like, "It's a singles ward, and like you're all showing up late, and, I, and I'm going to start on time, but I don't want you to miss any of these announcements." So. <laughs> We're going to do them at the end of the meeting. Uh, so everyone here, the so tradition everyone of announcements. Yeah. Or, and the tradition of announcements, which I feel like is already kind of slipping back into what it was before 
uh, when we had three hour church, because the idea when they shortened sacrament meeting by only five minutes, 10 minutes total, right? Yeah, because he used to get out at 10 after. So yeah, we're 10 minutes shorter. And part of the guidance was, you know, consider what needs to be announced from the pulpit and what doesn't. But that only works if your word is effectively communicating across other channels, people. And if your word isn't doing that, okay, we could go on rants all day. <laughs> anyway, so good times on the 4th of July. What? Any any other stories you want to touch on? Kurt? Oh yeah, before, we got other before, stories here. Before we go, <laughs> before we go, uh, oh boy, um, the uh, former Hollywood producer. Let's see, where am I moving this? <laughs> Sorry, it's like this is uh, the one you dropped. <laughs> headline by Desert News here, uh, top of the line. What former Hollywood producers are saying about the Book of Mormon videos? So these are, I guess, they finished recording their last season of. Book of Mormon videos, and uh, you know, I think these have been—they've taken up a notch or two as far as the quality and um, of production value and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. um, but you you pointed out here in the notes here that this this uh, former Hollywood producer says is a uh, Elder Michael A. Dunn, member of the of the Quorum of the Seven. He was the—he's—he's so, uh, he's the one who gave that one percent better talk a couple of conferences yeah, yeah. ago. He's great. The, awesome. the math was actually shady if you can if you yeah. do it. But I've had an opportunity to meet him once, and he's a really cool guy. Oh, I'm Kurt. I had the. Yeah, no, I met this guy too. I'm, I'm just at the gas station. He was at the other pump, and you know that just yeah. happens here in Utah. No, sure. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that actually the story? <laughs> no, that's not oh, the story. I, I interviewed him for. I help out the BYU Management Society for their podcast, and we interviewed him. So good deal. Uh, before he was uh, called to the 70. But uh, so I don't know. What if, can you imagine if he was critical of like, oh, this is second. I know. Like what's, <laughs> what else is he going to say for one? Yeah, they, they could try a little harder. Let's but I agree with him. I mean, this is, these are some great videos and hopefully they'll be around a while to, to be peppered into a Sunday school lesson, you know, as we study the Book of Mormon. So let us take issue with the headline though. For one, <laughs> top of the line is the quote, what former Hollywood producers our no producers. Was there another guy? They interviewed somebody else, but the only one who said top of the line was producer or singular Elder Dunn. Um, and he says, I love this quote, though. I have, I've appreciated accuracy and detail 10 times to what I've been accustomed to. And I've worked in Hollywood. I've worked everywhere. This is top of the line. I just love that line. I've worked in Hollywood. I've worked everywhere. I've worked in <laughs> Bollywood. I've worked in the Chinese market. I've worked everywhere. Yeah. I've made obscure Kosovar films. I've done it all. Um if you do look up his IMDb page, Michael A. Dunn. Just this general is, conference or what? This is no issue with the Book of Mormon videos themselves. This is just an issue with ed- with editors at Deseret News trying to get clicks. Because we know what this is. This is essentially us trying to say like, look at you, look, the world loves what we're doing. We're doing things at the quality. We are. We are we're, the chosen. We are doing things at the quality of those those terrible coastal states. We know things. The, the elites love us. That's what we're. That's essentially what the headline is trying to convey. Um, I, I'm looking at his history, though, at least according to IMDb, and it's not even a knock on anything he's done, but it just looks like it's a lot of Studio C. I think Holly Hobby's on Hulu, so that's fine. But a lot of it, looking at this, you got Random Acts, Grace Notes, Artful, An Evening with Marie Osmond, Dwight in Shining Armor, Show Offs. All of these things are BYU TV productions. There's nothing wrong with that. BYU TV is very good. I'm just struggling to see where the Hollywood comes into this. And it could very well be that his IMDb page just simply doesn't have that. You know, maybe somebody else like a, a rep from BYU TV has done this and other stuff's just not there. You know, who knows? But but I just want to know. I want to know what Michael A. Dunn has actually done in Hollywood to be quoted as a, a Hollywood elite. There, there you have it. Uh-huh. The man is basically spielberg so <laughs> and he's a 70 so it's everything you want anyway it's fine it's just like ah weird headline anyway what are you gonna do <laughs> uh we could tell c- a couple of other things i don't really know what i have to say about this other than uh slate covered that new p uh piece about that new show called mormon no more which is currently airing on hulu um have you seen it jeff i have not which is why I, i've You've been I've, backlogged I've, with stranger things haven't you Dude, season four was so good. It was so good. I loved it. Season four was easily the best since the first season. I don't mm-hmm. even think that was a question. I don't care about the long episodes. I feel like very little little of it was wasted. Everything just worked. True. It was it. great. I loved it. Even with the, yeah. The BYU pendants in the background. We I talked mean, about that before. Yeah, some of the yeah. BYU coverage. Was, well, if you looked closely, there was someone who got a screenshot of uh, 
Oh yeah, they of her computer of her computer, and it's like a Hinkley quote. They did a pretty good job. Some strange that. picture of Jesus I've never seen, but I, hey. that that one is not one that we circulate. I've seen it, but we don't circulate it much in our faith <laughs> tradition. They got that one wrong. Um, but this says forget uh, forget under the banner of heaven. There's another show that actually gets the Mormon Church. It's funny because I think they've tweaked that headline a little bit since I first saw it. I thought it said like I thought I saw a teaser somewhere that said like. These are the issues that are actually existing in the Mormon church right now. It uh, shows a picture of the stars of the show, two women who were in heterosexual marriages, who are friends and came to realize they were in love with each other. The Newport Beach Temple is behind them. Also makes me wonder where they got this image for the show, because knowing that property, they're standing in a stake center parking lot, and I can't imagine the church would want them to film there. But okay, whatever. <laughs> Don't know how that worked out. That's uh, Either way, I think this is supposed to be pretty decent. I mean, a lot of people were critical of Under the Banner of Heaven for not quite getting it, for for admittedly being a little fast and loose with some of the church history and trying to tie that into what happened in the Lafferty episode in the 80s. This, on the other hand, is a four-episode series, just essentially covering these women and their experiences, those of their families. Um, and I'm trusting more in my circle who are saying, you might not love the outcome, just in the grand scheme of what we're trying to do as Latter-day Saints, but uh, it's it's a bit more of a it's a fairer shake at what we are doing in the church. Yeah, I'm so I, I I have planned to watch it. To, um, I don't have Hulu, but I will get Hulu, I what? guess. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I I don't know. I I hope it's. I'm not holding my breath that it's going to be overly fair. And I think there'll be maybe you know they, with these production things, you're you're going for an audience. You're telling a story. You're not trying to get to the facts and whatnot in any documentary, you know, you, you watch, you, ha- you have, it's going to be influential and you can see one documentary on one side of an issue and be like, Oh, I totally see it that way. And then an opposite and be like, Oh wow. I totally see it. like it, this, the, the, the art of documentary is maybe not a reliable one when uh, setting opinions and perspectives in my opinion, but Hey, I'll give it a shot. Many of them do have perspectives. I mean, look at the LuLaRoe documentary, which was compelling <laughs> for sure, absolutely had an angle it was trying to take. I mean, for sure. Right. But at the same time, I, entertaining, though. At the same time, I doubt none of it. Right. <laughs> so I need to check this out. I feel bad. I don't have anything else to report on it, but I need to spend some time watching this and I'll, I'll give it a shake. I'll, I'll see what's going on. And I, I think if they would have hired the former Hollywood producer, you he know, Elder busy, Dunn, this, this might have gone better. He was busy. I'm just saying, if you've got a Hollywood producer ready to go, what are you thinking? All right, quick note here, everybody, all y'all. The Tokyo Japan Temple, after being closed for a number of years uh, for rededication and then some COVID stuff, you know, all those fun things happened, is now back online. President Eyring was over there this past weekend, he and Elder Stevenson, and they rededicated what is the church's longest operating temple in Asia. And now it's, it's back there. I'm trying to see if it says exactly how long it was closed, which it was for some time. They're not really focusing on that. Uh, in here. But what a wonderful event. As part of its renovation, though, they they expanded this entire whole like extra building to the side of it that forms part of the whole temple campus now. Uh, and I love the pictures you see. Like They actually have rock work and fountain work. We see a fountains in front of lots of temples, but there's, there's efforts at this temple to incorporate a little bit more of the environment around it and make it look kind of cool. And so I'm thrilled that they did this. I'm glad it's, it's up and running again. I mean, Japan's got a handful of temples. It's got the one in Sapporo, but that's up on... Uh, up on the North Island. Was that Hokkaido? I'm blanking on, I'm forgetting the names. Tokyo, of course, you got the one down in Fukuoka. They're building one way down in, um, ba-dum, 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 blinking in, in Okinawa, 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 in Okinawa. But very nice for the main big island to have their temple back. And I yeah. think this and is. It looks like Elder Stevenson was evolved, involved. So he. Uh, yeah, I said that, two, Kurt. Okay. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm getting. How else was he involved? <laughs> well, what I'm saying, I always wonder, like, I would imagine that these assignments are divvied out maybe in their weekly, you know, meeting as a quorum of the 12 and first presidency. And, you know, you think that Elder Stevenson, you know, he has this history of Japan, but I just wonder if there's this feeling of like, what if they give it to Elder Pednar and I just want to go. And then it's like, oh, no, really? No, David, you go. I'm good. And but inside he's like seething like, oh, but it's Japan. I love Japan. Or what? Or worse, what if it was Elder Gong? <laughs> right. He just for, did uh, for patronizing reasons. <laughs> Yeah. That one. yeah. So, and, and building on that. So this is great for the saints there and they've built, you know, these whole new buildings alongside it. I think it's just wonderful. The Tokyo Japan temple is 
decent size. It is, I mean, Japan is, you know, heavily urbanized, as you might imagine. It's not quite a Hong Kong temple in terms of being this very urban building in the middle of things, but uh, it is, you know, slammed in the middle of a neighborhood and they've built it more vertical than anything else. Uh, if you ever look at it on Google Maps, you can definitely see how that works. It's actually across the street from a large memorial park. And having never been to Tokyo, I don't know the significance of that in and of itself. But I would like to go to Tokyo primarily to go to Disney Sea. <laughs> to Disney what? Disney Sea, Kurt. Oh, is that that's a thing, huh? It's the best theme park in the whole world, apparently. You got Tokyo <laughs> Disneyland, and next to it, the second gate, Disney Sea, widely regarded as the greatest theme park on the planet. Like really, people say that? No, like for reals, people say that. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> There's this, probably some documentary on Disney Plus you can watch about it. This right? is what the people say. Um, and it's funny, another news you mentioned, like Elder Stevenson going, we still don't know who's going to be rededicating our uh, Washington, D.C. temple. It is, it's intriguing to me they have yet to announce that because by this point, that's typically acknowledged. So you think it'll be President Nelson just because maybe they wouldn't announce that? I really? have to wonder if it would be, they'd usually announce it even if it was President Nelson. I have to wonder if they're just worried about, I don't know, schedules aligning or something. Some reason they're not announcing fully who is going to be running the dedication. Because as we learned from President Nelson, he doesn't even buy green bananas. So maybe he doesn't even want to put this on his schedule yet. But if, yeah. it, if he's around, he's there. I'm sure he'll be around. So I don't know. And we did find out they're going to be doing it uh, in our stake centers as well, which is kind of cool. We didn't I, Initially, there was no discussion of having him broadcast it at the stake centers. And, you know, you ever done that? You know, the stake oh, center? Yeah, yeah. I thought that yeah. was like standard it's pretty practice. standard. I just I looked into it just very recently and I, I got nothing. So I was like, all right, I guess they're just going to kind of do it quietly and let that be it. But then they announced this past weekend, yes, we will get to do the whole. Hosanna whole shout. Yeah, it's fun. I haven't done one of those in a long time. It'll be good. Good deal. Sweet. So Jeff, uh, LDS Living. Great published an article. Yes. I told three things missionaries need to remember if their converts stop attending church. Um, it's so your fault. Been a, Why did you have more faith? <laughs> more faith. And this is a result of your sin. That's right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that one night you stayed out past 930. This is that night you came in at 932. Their salvation was lost. lost. Um, so they, they give some tips. You know, your service still counts. This doesn't mean you were a bad missionary. And agency is a gift, not a curse. So what's been your experience with your converts? I don't know. You went to Europe. Did you have converts, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair question to ask, actually. <laughs> First of all, I take issue with this headline as well. I hate the idea of their converts. I get it. Mm. It's fine. But they're not my converts. They're converts unto the Lord. I just happen to teach them. If you look at it like your converts, maybe that's why they're not active anymore. I don't know. It could be part of it. They're not, pri- <laughs> they're not prizes to be won is what I'm saying. Yeah. So moving past that, um, I mean, I, I the list is fine. Uh, some of it, like I've never got down on myself. Yeah, I had people who I've taught and who were baptized who did not stick around. Absolutely, I did. Yeah, yes, we did. We did teach and baptize uh, in Europe, (laughs) mostly Latin American immigrants, not really a lot of the natives, as we say, not not a lot of the actual uh, native Spaniards, but I never beat myself up about it. I tried to be really clear though. Like my biggest concern was pressure coming from elsewhere within a mission to get people baptized sooner than they were ready. And there's a fine line there. There's a fine line between um, pushing people too quickly and they're not ready for it and being bold enough to like feel the spirit and challenge people to rise to that occasion well, and they will be ready for it but like you know it's very easy to want to be cautious enough that you don't that you don't offend that you don't do something before somebody is ready but there are occasions when no you can challenge someone to do this as the spirit dictates and that's that's like okay it doesn't always mean it's too soon i have seen too soon absolutely i've seen too soon but mm-hmm. i'm sure you have too yeah um but I don't think it's your fault. And I think that's a good thing to remember is that people still, you know, have their agency. People are going to join. Some will leave. Some might come back years later, which I've seen as well. And what can you do? You, you can't take it upon yourself as a missionary and say it's all your fault. I think when you're a missionary, you're operating with, in some ways, a limited tools kit based on the things you are basically taught to teach as a missionary, which is fine. But you're kind of you're kind of putting out there what you're taught to put out there. And and even beyond that, like you're not you're not living the same way they are in their country. You're not a local, right? I think it's always more impactful. That's why you always bring members of your branch or ward with you if you can. They live there. They understand what it's like to live there. They're the ones who will understand these investigators a lot more. Uh, when you're a missionary, it's a little bit more. You're you're kind of a blip, honestly. Yeah. In their life, and uh, and ideally, you re- you may remain an important person who taught them, 
but you are not the be all and end all. And I've seen a lot of converts who like lean on their missionaries a ton uh, to the point of it being a crutch. And like, that's not healthy either. You got to let people, you got to turn them loose. They've got to be local in their wards. The ward members have got to be with them. This has somehow become a rant about fellowshipping. So I'll stop because I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> well, I think it's just, I think it's fair that any, anytime you're transferred or you leave an area as a missionary, you should feel the sense of surrender of that individual or that family that mm, you taught yeah. and baptized of, you know, this is the wards now, this is the local community, they're the local communities now, but most importantly, they're, they belong to Jesus Christ and he's got them. And, you know, and I think there is, you know, I remember Naum Saragossa, he was like my first convert Naum baptism. Saragossa. Naum Saragossa. Oh, yeah. Naum. Okay. Naum. Like I, I, served in, I served in Saragossa. Oh, really? Well, there you go. Saragossa. Saragossa. But we got, he came to church once. We got some exception. I think in our mission, they had to come twice, but I forget the exception we made. He got baptized, didn't step another day in the church and who knows where he's at. But in the larger scheme of things, I feel like, you know what? We taught this guy, gave him every opportunity to say yes. Was it rushed? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe if I, I don't remember all the details, but at the end of the day, he'll get to the other side of the veil and say, good news. Naum, we got your work recorded. Let's talk about the temple or, you know, whatever it is, or the priesthood. And they go from there. So I think there's just deeper meaning in these, even in these blip of experiences rather than, you know, hey, did they, do you have the picture of you standing in front of the temple with them? If not, oh, we failed. Yeah, you didn't fail. I, it's like, yeah. what can you, I, I frankly don't know if anybody I taught is still active. Like truly. I, I mean, I think the best I did was I had a guy who, I never knew the whole history. He was a guy who was a stake president once in his native country, was somehow excommunicated at some point, and then had come to Spain. And we worked really hard to kind of get him back involved. I think he had a lot of shame. And I never mm-hmm. asked about like the details of any of it. But uh, hmm. we were able to baptize his wife and his daughter, like stayed active and went on a mission and all kinds of stuff. That was cool. But nice. I don't know if anybody I like taught from the get-go stayed active. And it is a, it can be a little sad. Like I've come back to gone back to visit old areas. Have you ever traveled back to the old stomping yeah. grounds? Yeah, you know. Yeah. And you talk to some of the members and you'll ask, I'll ask them like, Hey, what happened to so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so? And they might remember, but they'll be like, yeah, they're, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I would say like, even just the machine of missionary work, right? Like we, someone's interested, we connect them with the missionaries, we tight teach them about it. Like I, I think we can maybe reassess some different points of that progress of saying, how can we really insert a member relationship here? Um, and I think some, you know, wards and stakes do it better than others, but um, sometimes I can be so forgotten because you're so you're teaching them you get so attached and connected as the missionary you know and then you do transfer and, and, and that's the hardest thing i don't know if yeah. it's like my 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 rather dry nature my cynical nature but even when i was never a noticed yeah i was i was pumped up to be teaching these people i was excited for what we were doing but yeah my my priority was to get them in with members it is fun to look back at old journals though and you see how much how overzealous you can be right <laughs> you're yeah you're just like yeah oh jeez oh jeez <laughs> oh, well, what can you what can you do i think i had a follow-up here but i forgot what it was oh it's okay anyway don't beat yourselves <laughs> up be. if any of you are listening to this show and you and you were a missionary and you found out somebody at tots no longer in don't beat yourself up you just gotta love them move on get in touch with them maybe do that but don't don't you know just gotta live your life it's gonna be okay all right, folks, let's go to a wonderful land, a land where truth and righteousness prevails. Kurt, the land of your mission. That's I'm, right. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'm uh, uh, not responsible for anything that goes on in this state. This comes it. out of this actually comes out of the city of your mission, no less. Kurt, you that's you right. in one way or another influenced this the story. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. Um, I'm sure. So this isn't like altogether new, but this but an element of this came across my radar. So what happened is last fall, California passed AB 506, which was a bill that put more stringent requirements in place for adults who were working or volunteering with some type of youth organization, whatever it might be. The law took effect in January. We haven't heard much about it in a Latter-day Saint context uh, since then. However, uh, it has come to at least my attention through some, some Reddit feeds and talking to some people privately and a lot of other things. That the church is like acting on this. I don't, I don't know if this might, stuff might have been going down elsewhere in the state. California has like 147 stakes, so I'm sure something might have happened somewhere. But we get a note from a certain stake, which we will keep nameless for the, for their own sake. That this is an, this is a real issue. This stake in letter dated basically like last week, essentially saying, "Here's what's going on with this new law. If you are in the following callings, you are 
you are under this law because it applies to anyone who spends at least 32 hours a week, or sorry, not a week, 32 hours a year yeah. with youth. If you spend that much time with youth in the course of a year, you have to undergo fingerprinting and a criminal background check now in the state of California. And otherwise, most, most any youth leader in the church would easily pass that threshold. Yeah. So, so easily, you're talking stake presidencies, bishoprics and branch presidencies, stake and ward primary leaders and workers, stake and ward young men and young women leaders, advisors, instructors, and camp directors, seminary teachers, and secretaries and their substitutes, and anybody else to whom this might apply. This could be a lot of your ward leadership when you really get down to it. Like they don't single out Sunday school presidents, but if you're a Sunday school president and you have teachers that are in your purview who teach youth, they have to get it. And you might want to get it too, because you might have to sub in someday, for example. Like I, I find it hard to see how this almost won't touch every adult in your congregation beyond, I don't know, the the sacrament meeting chorister. Maybe that one will stay out of it. So it touches a lot of people. To be clear, I don't think this is even a bad thing necessarily, but it, it does involve an effort and it also involves cost. The stake in this case says like, we're going to absorb the cost of this for stake members. And there's times they can go to the stake center uh, and do all of this. But I think the short of this is I think it's very interesting because the church has been moving towards trying to be, I think, more helpful and more accountable in terms of what we do to protect youth. It was, uh, what year was it when the church announced the required youth training for everybody? That was 2019. So we're only about three years ago. The church put out that new training that's called Protecting Children and Youth. I might be Mm -hmm. paraphrasing the name here, right? I think that's right. But you've taken this. It's a 30-minute module, basically explains how to protect youth from abuse, all kinds of abuse, how to look after them, how to take care. And the things we need to do as leaders as well to safeguard ourselves, also the church, all that stuff. You have to do it, and you have to re-up on that training every three years if you're in a position of leadership. And that's good. That's great. I think we've seen the church do this. We've seen the church change its policy and allow parents to sit in on youth interviews I think it's unfortunate that many of the people who pushed for that policy got in trouble with the church for doing so, but that's a different discussion for another time. That's okay, I, but I like the policy itself. And so now we see this, uh, at least in California. California is not the first state to have requirements like this, by the way. Lest you think it's old California leading out and over-regulating stuff, they're not the first to do things like this. But um, I, I think this is interesting going forward, what this could mean for the church. There's some states that like haven't touched this. They'll, any state's been allowed to do this for 25 years, nearly 30 years under under the um, the National Child Protection Act. It was dated from the 90s. But some don't do it because they think it's a bit onerous. They're like, well, the cost is a lot. It might dissuade people from engaging in service or, or in, in being involved with organizations because they say, I don't want to go through all these hoops to do this, which is like a fair argument. I get it. But in this case, the church is uh, requiring its leaders to do it and encouraging others who might not even be in those callings to do it. So they're just kind of at the ready should it ever arise. I really think the long and short of this is more or less if you're an adult in your unit, just like think, plan on potentially having to get this done if you're in California. You don't know when the call will come, but it might call or it might come. The call. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, Kurt, I, I, how do you feel? Do you think this is like... Is this overreach by the state? Is this something the church should have just been doing anyway to have good faith? Because this is not, other countries also do this where the church is active. It's easy to yeah. see this as the church just doing the bare minimum that is required of it legally in right. this case. But I don't know. Like, what's your take? Yeah, no, I I, I like things like this where a specific area or state are they're, they're going to try something, right? They're they're going to say we're going to prioritize background checks. And when I, I don't, I'm not familiar with all that's involved with background checks as far as the you know, the cost and the expense and whatnot. It's about, so we put this in, we got an article about this. It's 50 bucks for the background check, then a $30 um, like completion fee or something like that. So it's 80 bucks per head. Mm-hmm. And if you do some quick math on that front, um, like what if, if you have like 20 people in your ward who need it, like seven wards in your stake, that's like over 10 grand. That's 10 or $11,000 in fees. If there's 147 stakes in California, the church is spending $1.5 million yeah. to do this statewide. And is there any, like, if I am the young men's leader, like, am I, are they just doing a background check and it comes back yay or nay? Or or do they call me and ask me questions? Or <laughs> well, That depends on the nature. So it's a criminal background check and it's limited within the California's penal structure. Okay. okay? So it's, it's guided by the California Department of Justice. So this gotcha. is not a federal probe, but it is a criminal background check within the state of California. Uh, and they, they could call you up. It depends on what you're trying to do. You're not being granted like any kind of a clearance or anything like that. But, you know, and yeah. I don't think it also isn't clear like what would happen if you have somebody in a calling and you find out they're 
they were convicted of something at some point. Mm-hmm. I assume they'd be released, but the, there's no specific, you know, action yeah. outlined in the letter from the state. Yeah. So I think it's great. You know, let's, I think try it in this area, see how it goes. I, I would also not be surprised if it sort of has a, a, you know, just say no campaign, uh, backfire, like, uh, you know, Nancy Reagan's just say no. They, I think they showed it stimulated more drug use than less, but um, I don't take drugs. What's that? She helped me not take drugs. I okay, said, I'll- all right. Cause you just said no, but, um, did, did the, you- the, Quick question on that, because yes. I see parallels. Did she? Did, you, did they, the study say it backfired because it opened kids' minds up to what drugs were, and then they want they became curious about them? Oh, I don't remember. Or, and somebody back check like, me on that. About, that's, about, like, I've heard that. You know, like the same. Like, do you do this in a moral sense, young man? And the kids like, I don't even know what that is, but now I do. Yeah, now right. I'm curious yeah. about right. <laughs> that might have played into it. But um, the the other point is is that. The vast, vast, vast majority of abuses happen uh, within the context of families, right? Um, and so, and and I would say the vast, vast, vast majority of church leadership relationships, the, the number of exits from abuse that are created from a relationship with a church leader by far outnumber the inappropriate uh, abuse of situations. And so again, do we want to create friction in these areas? And you can say, well, yeah, if, if it saves, you know, one more person from abuse or, okay, that that's something to consider. But also I think we need to, I think there's maybe other ways to go about it rather than background checks, maybe more education, maybe 30 minutes is enough. Is there more we could do or state could do to educate uh, leaders working with youth in order to, create more exits from abuse rather than, um, than less or, you know, anyways, that's, that's my concern. I think it's a Swiss cheese approach, right? I think we're doing little things. We're, we're doing more training. Good. We're Mm -hmm. working better on that front. We're teaching leaders how to respond in certain, certain situations and what's required in terms of reporting if they stumble upon abuse. Good. Um, we're letting parents sit on youth interviews. Good. All these little layers are, are covering each other's holes. I think this is just another layer. You could see it as, you know, an unnecessary hassle. I don't think it's that much of a hassle, frankly, especially if your stake is covering it and it's just like show up at the stake center, get fingerprinted and and submit some forms for a background investigation. Yeah. yeah. Fine. That's all you're doing. California's taxpayers are paying for the rest of it. So like mm-hmm. whatever, just your deal. Yeah. Uh, but I see it kind of in that sense. I, I like that the church is doing this. I wouldn't mind if the church was proactively doing this because I don't know every stat regarding abuse in our church. Like you said, a lot happens at home. But we should be doing everything we can to protect the kids, for sure, and give them a safe environment. I like to think we live in a world where these things aren't required. But as as we see a lot in the church, the church adopts certain policies, typically in response to the bad actions of a minority. And it'll do that on its own. I've said here before on the podcast, it was on my mission, they updated the White Handbook to forbid missionaries from picking up kids, from touching children in any way. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of missionaries, I'm sure, were just fine. Right. But, but to avoid either weird, mis- troubled missionaries who who knows what would happen there, or just litigious parents, the, the church gets sued for a lot of stuff, some of which is just like frivolous lawsuits. For sure, that happens all the time. For whatever reason, they updated the, the, the policy. The church updates policies all the time, and it can seem like a hassle to a lot of other people who are doing a perfectly good job being rule-keeping Latter-day Saints slash citizens, but you have a policy to protect everybody. And that's what we do. We're, we're thinking about the one more in this case than we are everybody else. So I think it's good. We'll see what happens as time goes on. But yeah, I'm excited to see how it works out. And and I think it's good for the church to just process, you know, what does that mean if a state or a country or whatever puts the burden of, of these, of this process on us, you know, we got to figure that out, you know? So, Jeff, Heimer Smith's handwritten copy of Doctrine and Covenants 11 donated to the church. We appreciate that, Jeff, that you would go out and donate that. You're Was welcome. it you? Yes. Okay. I did it. You did. <laughs> it I a, did. Guilty as charged. This is a, uh, an article by Mary Richards in the Church News. Oh, we um, love Mary Richards. I know. She's great. I actually emailed her this week. Oh, no, we legitimately. She's helping me line up an interview that should be very fascinating. Um. So experts and archivists with the church history department uh, rigorously examined, I think <laughs> there's a certain, anyways, rigorously, they maybe haven't that, done that in the past. But <laughs> I read that and I'm like, do they also rigorously examined the things from Mark Hoffman? And that, that what you were thinking of? <laughs> yeah. I think they have a new standard uh, since the 1980s. We rigorously examined a lot of things. 
<laughs> Anyways, they examined the documents and confirmed it was the handwritten handwriting of Hiram Smith, section 11 in his revelation given through the prophet Joseph Smith to his brother at Harmony, Pennsylvania. So, and they have pictures of, um, uh, you know, presenting the, do- the document and going over the document with, uh, president Ballard, who is, you know, in the family line of, of Hiram Smith. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can see the handwriting and the, see the document online. And this is cool. I like to hear when our library of historical artifacts expands. It took me a couple of times of passing through this because of the quote from, uh, Greg Cook. Greg Cook, by the way, is one of the founders of doTERRA. And so he found this at Moon's Rare Books in Provo and then just thought to himself, oh, I should give this to the church. Great. But reading the line, not fully understanding the context, of uh, we know that he's the great 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 grandson of Hiram Smith, but like if you just see it out of context, when he says like I knew this had significance to you and your family. I was scanning it, and at first I was like, "Is this guy not LDS? Like did he just buy this thing and was like, he's thinking family, like the church family? Like hey, this is this is important to you guys. Enjoy." No, it's not that, but uh, and that's how essential oils have blessed the church, Jeff, by making us all not comprehensive readers, <laughs> by, by by making someone rich enough to go and be able to buy it. Who knows how much it even... Well, the funny thing is, who in Provo, of all places... I know, it's like, who's, who's sitting on this, right? Hey, I'm going to cash out on this one. Hello, <laughs> this is the dream. Where is Moon's Rare Books? I bet... I'm going to say Center Street. Center Street, that's what I was Or say. University Parkway. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, I think both of us are quite wrong. Some it guy's is, basement? No, it's in the Riverwoods. Oh, they've upgraded. It's, uh, yeah, it's over on the backside there by Cozy Nook Treasures. And Blickenstaff's Toy Store. I can't believe these are all the real names of places. And <laughs> this is this is it is. It's great. Good piece of history. Glad we have it. Love it. All right. For our last little bit here this week, folks. Cool news here. Um, senior missionaries are very important in the church. The church, I feel like, is constantly encouraging senior missionaries or senior couples to consider going on missions. And it's very clear the need is great. Uh yes. Alex has been adamant about this. It's just like Yes, we need you. Please come, sir. Please don't light fireworks on 4th of July, and please consider a mission. Thank you. So here's something I was unaware of, an article by Haley Lundberg over at LDS Living, um, highlighting the fact that there is a portal that the church maintains where you can break down and look into uh, what's available for senior missionaries. But it's more than that. It's like It says, like, here's what the kind of the mission is, the duration, what the cost would be per month, whether it's a critical need position or not. It's a whole thing where you can break down and filter through. And if you're considering a mission and they want to work with you regarding the parameters and cost and time and all the things you want to do, you can look through this portal and just straight up get to the bottom of it and figure out what works best for you. I think it's great. I mean, I love tools like this. It's just a filterable database, more or less, but I'm glad they're updating it. And looking for those opportunities. I mean, you can say, set the priority for critical, high, or low, missionary type, your length of service, one to two years or six months only. You can filter by your monthly cost so that you uh, don't have that. You can include the insurance cost that there that it is involved mm-hmm. to go. So I know our, our stats. This is really funny because I just clicked on the link and I'm signed in right now. It actually said, is this you? Like I've never had this prompt before logging into a church system. Is it's because I think it's because they know my age. Yes, <laughs> just gave me a pop up and said you are not currently eligible to serve as this type of missionary. <laughs> go go back to your children at home that are dependent on you. <laughs> I'm looking for a way out, man. Come on, <laughs> give me a chance, man. I like to like give me two pop ups, basically. Like, uh, are you supposed alert, to be- alert? Alert, alert. So anyways, you can say outside of your, I'm looking at it now, outside of your country, do you want to be at home, away from home? Or one option is in my own RV or trailer. Boom. I want to serve the mission that I'm driving around in my own RV. Beaver camp. I saw it with my own eyes. Our uh, our current elders quorum president just got back from a senior mission a couple a year and a half or so ago, and they were way down in Argentina, like down in the Pampas region. The church owns a ranch out there, and they were just isolated out there. <laughs> Like running this ranch, just to make sure it doesn't burn down or something. Like two years, and the only time they'd see a lot of people is they kids would come and do trek sometimes there during the year. But like fascinating stories, like yeah, this is what they called us to do. I'm just down in like Patagonia running a ranch (laughs) for the church. It's kind of awesome. You could create a whole podcast around just these interesting missions that exist because I was looking at these senior missionaries at Hebrew camp and what they have to do, and and to some it's like they're in heaven, right? They're just loving it. I'm thinking. I would hate every minute of that type of a mission, but bless their hearts that they enjoy it. 
I'm selecting outside. I like this one too because it says country, but then you can select when you hit the country within the country or out of the country because you could also, so you could specify the country you want or you could say, show me everything that's not American if like you want to go abroad, for example. I mean, you right, you right here could spend 2,500 bucks per couple, but you need insurance and be a Spanish speaking couple in the Dominican Republic Santiago mission and be the re- recreational properties director. These are the kinds of things you can do. I'm, I'm abandoning my family, Kurt. This sounds more fun. <laughs> Get your mom's login information and see if you can. <laughs> I'm just going to apply for one. <laughs> and then you know. show up when on day one. Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun, man. Thanks. Um, Kurt, you have anything else you want to bring to the body before we close? No, I mean, obviously, uh, we're doing some fun stuff over at Leading Saints. So wherever you're listening to this, uh, we have some announcements coming out this week, Jeff. So uh, be the time to subscribe and hear where we're we're headed as a as an organization. So is the announcement that Sherry do has purchased you finally. <laughs> Yes, I, I am now retired. Actually, I don't own Leading Saints, but... Uh, the people own Leading Saints, everyone. That's right. So we're, we're all rich because of its existence. But it has nothing to do with Sherry Do. I'll give you that teaser. It's a communist, so everyone owns it. And the means of production. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Please leave us a review if you'd like, especially if you listen on iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts. We'd love it if you did that. And uh, join us on Patreon, where you can support the show financially with a couple of bucks a month which aren't what they used to be prior to all this inflation fund that we've been having. So, you know, help out. $3. Your $3 is worth less than it was a year ago, which means I'm asking you for less resources, folks. <laughs> Kurt like that one. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hope you have a great week. I appreciate you taking the time to listen in. Please go to LeadingSaints.org and support Kurt. Go to ThisWeekInMormons.com and support us. And I hope you listen to the show on twice speed. So until then, Kurt, that's Kurt. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to This Week in Mormons. You won't hear the end of this because I'm talking so fast and that's the end of the show. Okay, bye.